At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello from Washington. I'm Chuck Todd, and this is the Chuck Todd Cast. Well, it was a day we all feared. From the moment President Trump took the oath of office, his allies have told themselves that there was a limit to how far he would go. That the adults in the room would keep him under control. That it couldn't happen here. So how did it happen? How could the Capitol be so fragile? How could a president amass so much power? Can anything be done to restrain President Trump? with two weeks to go until President-elect Biden moves into the White House. What does this mean for the Republican Party? For those who were Trump skeptics, think Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, those who became his allies, like Lindsey Graham and even Mike Pence, even though they didn't like him at first, maybe now they don't like him again, and then those who are the actual true believers. Can these groups live together inside one party? How do we fix this? We have a massive information crisis, a political movement that survives on misinformation. A right-wing media ecosystem that mainstreams those lies for a big chunk of Americans and a fundraising apparatus that incentivizes the most extreme positioning uh, on the right. So how can we sit down and peaceably govern if we don't start from the same set of facts? So joining me today to talk about all of this and to share their reactions to the sacking of the Capitol, Chief Correspondent for The Washington Post, Dan Balls, National Editor for The Cook Political Report, Amy Walter and the chair of the Department of African-American Studies, Princeton professor, Eddie Glaude, Jr. Um, look, you guys are all people that everybody just wants to first impressions. Dan Balls, wh- where the hell are we? And, ha- and, and just how did this hit you? Um, well, it hit me like it hit everybody else, Chuck. I mean, it was just, it was, it was shocking it was astonishing it was depressing it was out you know outraging um you, you can go through every adjective imaginable and and i think all of us or most of us had all of those emotions kind of hit us at, at a at a single moment as we watched this event uh, unfold um and um you ask where we are we're in a bad place um we've known it um, but you know there are there are particular moments where it it just drives it home uh, the degree to which we're in a bad place and yesterday was one of those and and um, you know you know today you know we tried to move on but you can't really move on from this you have to you have to digest it and you have to absorb it and you have to internalize it and and as a country um, I don't think we're yet ready to to figure out how to come to terms with it and 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 prevent it from happening in one form or another, I'm not saying there will be a repeat of this, but happening in one form or another uh, again and again. You know, Amy, um, last night as I was getting off the air with Lester Holt, you know, Lester was talking about how, you know, we, we sort of, I guess how we've, you know, we know politics is a, is a contact sport and, and, you know, we kind of, we've gotten into it and we enjoy it. Um, I I don't know if politics is going to be the same for quite a while for me. I'll just be perfectly honest. Where are you, Amy? 
Yeah, Chuck, it's such a good point because um, that is, I know you and I, for one, followed politics for so long, really because we loved what it said about America, right? That you have, even within parties, that's how I learned about America. That's how you that's learned right. about it. That's I did learn too. I learned about it learned. from covering the House, honestly, right? As did you, because what you got were a whole bunch of people that came to Washington from all different sections of this country with all different kinds of beliefs. But th- these two things always held true. One, the only way the system was going to work is if losers uh, – realized that someday they could be winners and winners realized that someday they were going to be losers, right? So we all uh, played within that context because everyone agreed, look, we didn't win this time, but we can come back and win next time. So let's be careful about going pushing too far, right? It's going to come back eventually Mm -hmm. to hurt us. And then that line really got broken. Um, And I think you're right, Chuck. I mean, we talk so much about what's broken about our politics. It's gerrymandering. It's fundraising. It's term limits, whatever you want to put out there as the reason why our politics is broken. But I think fundamentally, we have to get at the issue of our information ecosystem. That is really where this begins and ends. You cannot run a government with half of the country believing one set of facts and the other half believing another set. It's it's impossible to do that. And all of the work that we've done over the years, or we've seen government, good government groups do over the years to try to quote unquote fix the system. Think take fundraising, for example, you know, taking money out of the hands of the parties in some ways was supposed to democratize the process, yeah. right? It allowed candidates who weren't part of the system to get in. But at the same time, it meant that what it took to raise that money was to raise the level of disinformation and and to and to try to use uh, all of this really polarizing stuff just to raise money. Right, Eddie. Where does yesterday? You know, a lot of people talk about January sixth. It's gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna last. Mm-hmm. Will it, and where does it fit in our story? I, I, I think they're right. Um, uh, it's a moment where uh, the illiberal tendencies that have always been, in some ways, the undertow of American democracy made themselves known in a very explicit way. I mean, it's not, you know, this wasn't Shay's Rebellion, right? It wasn't, uh, <laughs> this, but it was an insurrection of sorts, right? So when you think about it, and a lot of people tell me it was the beer push. Yeah, yeah, you know, or you you think so? You know, I think there's this sense where there's this sense, uh, Chuck, where uh, the kind of response to the Black freedom struggle of the mid twentieth century, and 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 I want you to walk with me here. The the response to the Black freedom struggle of the mid twentieth century uh, gave birth to not only Nixon but Reagan. And in some ways, this was its logical conclusion. Now, are we supposed to be optimistic that this is the logical conclusion? Well, and I think is, I don't is know. Is the yet. end of this? I mean, I, I I totally see where you're going. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't it's know. a conclusion. But it's a conclusion that could be an ending. Oh. Period. With no, not another sentence following it. 
I'm not sure yet because you know there's these there are these moments. So I mean, so I feel it. I feel like this is the logical conclusion of the response to what happened in the mid 20th century, um, and um, what we saw was this odd combination of of grievance and resentment and hatred mixed with greed and hubris and all of this stuff leveraged on on behalf of this this vulgarian who is in the White House now. And then the question for us is, what do we do in response? Will we hold these folk, will we hold him accountable? Or will we do what we've done historically? Right? And I, and I just really quickly, the thing that came to mind was, you know, in response to the Wilmington Massacre of 1898, you know, Charles, nothing happened to Charles Waddell. I mean, uh, Alfred Waddell. Nothing happened. Charles, Charles Aycock actually became the governor. Or when you think back to the Civil War, Right. right with president lincoln uh, with president lincoln he was going to issue the proclamation of amnesty and if it wasn't for his assassination we wouldn't have gotten radical reconstruction which was then undermined by the compromise of 1877 i'm i'm invoking yeah. it because mm-hmm. cruz invoked it so in each of these instances where we saw this explosion we didn't hold people necessarily to account and those ghosts haunt by the way was it was it lindsey graham that reminded ted cruz that that 1876 compromise wasn't a very good idea uh, dick durbin it was Dick Durbin. Yeah. And, and Lindsey Graham did too, too yeah. uh, on the floor late yeah. last night. Yes, oh, it, was, it, it was. Yeah. The Durbin, the Durbin it was an amazing yeah. subtweet. I know. I just remember being shocked by it, Eddie. I'll just be honest. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I was shocked too. <laughs> I repressed it. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, can I go back to the point you raised right yeah. at the beginning, which is which is sort of your, your sense of. Um, Politics is different, or you're thinking about politics differently right. um, as a result of, of probably not just yesterday. But I, I think that's a very important point. I mean, I, I mean, you and I have had some of these conversations over a number of years. Um, you kind of know where I'm coming from at this point. But I, I have found increasingly a dissatisfaction, not just with politics itself, but with kind of the way we all think and approach politics and, and, and the degree to which it's now baked into the way everybody does think about it and approach it. Um, and, um, it is not in an, you know, in an uplifting way. It is, it is either kind of ESPNization of it, which is just, you know, do scores and who's winning and who's losing. Um, or, or it, it carries with it, um, a cynicism that people accept, accept, take for granted, and in fact, kind of revel in. Um, and I think yesterday kind of exploded that myth that you can that you can think about these things in that way without it having consequence. I mean, I, I wrote today about the consequence of you know Trump's words um, and and how how we saw what that is. But I think that for all of us who are in this, you know, in this environment, in the, the greater political world, no matter kind of where we stand or what role we play, um, yesterday should have been a wake-up call f- for everybody f- to think about their particular role in it. And and at the same time, you all, we had an election, which <laughs> it's kind of remarkable that uh, it was overshadowed so quickly. But uh, and yet they are connected. Because they are connected because I, you that's know, exactly it, what I was going to say. It set him. It actually, in in the moment, it is what set him off. 
it is was was there was the was the finality of the rejection of those Georgia Senate mm. seats and the idea I mean not to totally you know to, to you know he he came after me yesterday he hadn't come after me in a while and then I realized what I what what he was re- reacting to I had said well there's only one person to blame for the Republican defeat in Georgia and that's Donald Trump and he just you know so he gets spun up Mike Pence says he's not going to do his bidding and he absolutely loses his mind yeah though though I think what that race also showed us Chuck was to be maybe less cynical for a minute that there are consequences to Trump's behavior that this obviously was before the storming of of the Capitol but the the ways in which the president himself riled up the base by by these conspiracy theories and false claims and attacks on our system, but also the ways in which Republicans ran the same playbook that they mm-hmm. traditionally run successfully in the South, which is to paint uh, the Democrats, and especially in this case, a, a Black Democrat as scary and as other and as radical. And um, it did not only failed to work, but it it spectacularly backfired when you see that the real reason for the success of the Democrats in that Senate and the right. Senate runoffs was increase in black turnout. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. Yes, there were still the crossover. Yes, you had some suburban white voters continuing to defect from the Republican Party in the Atlanta suburbs. Yeah. But really, what happens to Democrats traditionally in runoffs is, yeah. well, black voters don't turn out, so we lose in the South. That's always the woe is us for the Democrats. Well, guess what? Look what happened. That's well, a, that, you is know, a, it, it, that is a I, change, and it's going to change the way that both parties now, if you're looking at Georgia, Texas. I'm sorry. And I will say in Mississippi, okay, Mm -hmm. Mississippi is going to happen in a decade. It's Mm going to take some work, but I think that's what we saw. Eddie, I want to build off something Amy was saying. I I didn't expect to go. This was my obsession a bit yesterday before. Um, There there was two parts to Warnock's success, I thought, Mm -hmm. um, here a little bit. And then I'm going to get back to, to what happened Wednesday. And I'm curious of your take on this, Eddie. And it's this. So they, so the Republicans play the sort of the typical card they've done on scary, you know, create the scary black man. He's a wife beater. He's a child abuser. Um, I, the Democratic Party of 10 years ago would have told John Ossoff to pull away from him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Separate yourself. Hey, run your own race, right? What did instead, the, for the first time I've seen this Democratic Party, the instinct was, no, hug Warnock. Get closer. Um, put your arm around him. This is this is nonsense. We all know this is garbage. And what did it end up doing? It it, it sort of was a whether all the de- it, it it just it to me was a. I think it means Republicans will still try this. There'll be some that still try this play, but Democrats now know it doesn't work, and they're not going to blink anymore. And they might actually recruit Black Democrats to run for yeah. statewide office. Right, and you know, uh, uh, you know, Ossoff was smart. They were smart because you know. Uh, Warnock is a native of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the pastor. He went to Morehouse College. He's a pastor of uh, Dr. King's Church in Ebenezer. So there's there were deep roots there. Yeah. And then when you think about the you know the grassroots organizing, right? I mean there's there there there's what you know it's like a one two punch. There's there's the silliness and, and of Donald Trump and what he was doing, right? And then you saw 
on the ground, Project South, Stacey Abrams, Fair Fight. You saw uh, Net Georgia, uh, New Georgia voters. You saw Black Voters Matter. You saw all of these folk on the ground. Not only those folk, but the API community, the Latino community, the demographic shifts that have been happening in Georgia. Demographics aren't destiny, but they damn sure matter. And they evidence themselves very clearly in this election, um, which is which is which is so important. So one way in which I think about what happened last night and what happened in Georgia is this juxtaposition of two worlds, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. One world is dying and we're witnessing it in its death throes, and another one is desperately trying to be born. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of what we have to do is to try to keep both in view because we're the midwives. We have to give birth to this new America. It doesn't mean right. that it's going to be democratic, but it's definitely going to be multiracial. Right. And, 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 and so Georgia represents that, 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 that possibility for me. But again, and I should say this too, Chuck, really quickly, what was proven also is that you know, the rejected lover that, is, that has been the Democratic Party since Reagan, <laughs> right. Seeking the Reagan Democrat, always trying to find the swing voter, always yep. trying to speak to that, and then taking its voter for taking its um, its base for granted, doing what Bill Clinton and Sam Nunn did in 1992 mm-hmm. in front of Stone Mountain with all of those black prisoners behind them. That strategy was killed yep. the other day, the other night. No, that that uh, yes, it put a that stake through that heart. Let's go back to the question. Now I want to go to the question of presidential accountability here, Dan Balls. And I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm yeah, look, I don't think he's, we, we, we have a, t- you got to look at this and you got to ask yourself if he's temperamentally capable of handling the job and whether the country can be safe in the next 12 days. And I, and, and I know that can sound like hyperbole, but after what we ex- witnessed yesterday, it may not be where, how do how do we what is the most realistic accountability and what is the penalty if we don't have any penalty for what happened? It, it, Chuck, I don't know the answer to what is the realistic way of holding him to account or 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 put another way, protecting the country for the next. 13 That's a better years. way to put it. This is about protecting the and, right. and but, also maybe protecting the country from him four years from now. Which is why the impeachment and conviction and barring barring from federal office, to me, is not a ridiculous notion. Well, it, whether it is or isn't, I don't think realistically that could get done in this short amount of time. Right. Um, so, um, but but the question is, what what do you do about what he might do in four years? I, I think I think that's a question that can be dealt with um, once he's out of office. Uh, my guess is that some combination of Mike Pence, who's no longer a member of the team, um, but still is the vice president, um, that he becomes a very, very important person over these next 13 days, um, both in his ability to um, be seen as the, you know, in a sense, the de facto leader of of the executive branch, as opposed to Trump. Well, he approved the national. He had to get the national guard. Exactly, approved, right? and and, and I think that others. Already. I think that others will will, by necessity, have to look to him, um, for signals and clues. And I think a lot depends on whether this you know this break that we saw happen between the two of them uh, continues, and he has his own standing at this point as somebody who is not 
attached at the hip um, with the president of the United States. I think that's the first important thing. I think the other is, I, I go back to that extraordinary um, statement that the former secretaries of defense put out, yeah. um, which which was um, not just aimed at the Defense Department. Um, obviously, that was a target. But I, I think it was aimed more broadly at the country as a whole, which is to say we have to be extraordinarily careful right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to check every instinct, particularly if you work for this president, uh, to be sure that you do nothing it, or use all of your power not to enable him to do something crazy or drastic or destructive. Those, those to me, are the keys over the next 13 days. Amy, where are you on the accountability front? Gosh, I am I'm with Dan where I don't know that I necessarily have a, a great answer to it because it's, it's true. I just keep coming back to thinking how much worse it could have been yesterday and the idea that you had the Speaker of the House, leadership of the Senate, the Vice President of the United States, all sitting in a building that was not secured. Um, and we could literally be in a constitutional crisis right now. So, uh, you know, I, I, I keep, I, I kind of can't get myself out of that thought. Yeah. At the same time, the, uh, the way in which to move beyond this moment, I keep going to, uh, it is about the realization that Trumpism is not going away, but that the people who need to be standing there in the breach do so um, more forcefully. And I guess that would be more than just Mike Pence. I mean, the fact that we are still getting anonymous quotes from inside the White House (laughs) at this point, or anonymous Republicans who are quote unquote upset uh, is pretty depressing because it suggests that they know that this will be held against them Mm -hmm. uh, should they stand up. So, so look, uh, I, I, I think we are where we are. We have 13 days and that, uh, the only hope is that there are people standing, especially we know in the military, who are going to to protect this, uh, protect this country, and and protect us from things getting worse. You know, Amy you said thirteen days, and I thought, geez, what what movie do I know called Thirteen Days? We can have an entire Cuban Missile Crisis in thirteen days. Right. I'm going to pause there. We're going to be right back after a quick break to talk about holding President Trump accountable. You're listening to the Chuck Toddcast from Meet the Press. Eddie, um, when I think about Trump accountability, right, Mexican rapists didn't happen. John McCain's not a war hero. Access Hollywood, Charlottesville, Ukraine. Anyway, we, we, we you know, the, the impeachment that wasn't, you know, if you will, it it is he has slipped um accountability over and over again and you, you know it's like what what does accountability look like that could stick 
I mean, that's a great question, but it needs to. We but but we need to begin to try to answer it. It seems to me, um, because if we leave these forces unchecked, and of course he's just a kind of avatar for uh, a complex mixture of of, of forces. I think um, it. I think they're going. They they will overwhelm us eventually. Uh, so we have to figure out how to respond to this, whether it's you know censure, whether it's twenty fifth. I don't I don't know, but we have to hold him account to account, and we have to hold those who sacked the people's house to account. Um, and and I think this is really important because we have been we have been coddling uh, a certain segment of the American population because people think politicians think they could leverage their resentment for their own ends. And they've been doing it for, for, for generations. Now that, 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 that element of our polity has metastasized and it's in full view. It's, 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 it's attacking the body politic. And so if we don't hold this, these folk accountable, if we don't address it, address him and it directly, uh, then it will continue to metastasize. It seems to me our democracy is at stake here. What that will look like, Chuck, I'm not sure. I do know we need to prosecute those folks who sacked the people's house, the, who yeah, sacked Congress. Right. That needs to happen immediately. With right. regards to him and Cruz and Howley and others, I'm not sure what that will look like. Yeah, so it feels like you, you might get a censure. Um, but other than that, I don't know what else happens right. in, in 13 days. All right, let me move to the Republican Party. Dan, is this is this their wig moment? Perhaps. Um, I was trading emails with one of my editors last night of, you know, are, are we now a nation of three political parties, you know, a Democratic Party and a Trump Party and a non-Trump conservative party? Um, and in some ways we are. Um, and I, I, you know, in an odd way, one would like to believe that given what happened yesterday, that the, that the Trump version or the Trump party has been weakened, but I'm not, I'm not entirely confident of that. Um, I think, I think there are two questions that we can't quite answer today. One is what happens, what, how does Trump, what does Trump do once he is out of office? What role does he try to choose to play? Um, and to what extent can he be effective as the leader of, you know, certainly a part of the Republican party today and then a big portion of it. Uh, I thought it was extraordinary, frankly, that after everything that happened yesterday in the Capitol, after all of the, the violence and yeah. the danger and all of that, that you had 120 to 133 Republicans support the objections um, in the Arizona case and in the Pennsylvania case. Um, that said to me that, that you know, there is still continuing strength for the way Donald Trump is trying to influence people in the Republican Party. Um, so that's, so that's one thing. I think the second is how, um, the Republican party in Congress, now a minority party in both houses decides it will respond or, or act, um, with Biden in the white house. To what extent do they kind of put aside this moment of internal division, um, and become a united opposition to Biden as they were, isn't it more likely that that's the, that there'll be a divided opposition, right? There'll be it, more, it, it, there'll it, be like the, the 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 Republicans that'll work with Biden, and the Republicans that won't. 
it, it, that may be. But I think some of that depends on, you know, the nature of, of what Biden throws up to them and in what order he, you know, he tries to do things. Well, um, I think we do know Biden's going to try one more time than anybody else would try. <laughs> yes, that's right. And and it, and it may be that 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 because of the because the divisions within the House and the Senate, uh, the party divisions are so narrow um, mm-hmm. that it it does strengthen the middle of both you know of both caucuses, um, and that that works in Biden's favor. But I, I still I, I have an open mind as to whether you know there the Republicans will become ideologically a united front again um, and and also see everything through the lens of 2022 and their, their yeah. expectation of trying to get power back. Yeah, Amy, I, tackle the question through the prism of James Langford. Talk hmm. about the most tortured of all the one I could not, I was stunned when he was on the list. Mm-hmm. And then you, th- and then I thought, Oh, he's up in 22. Wait. Right. Oh, he has no persona. One tweet from Trump would end him. Sadly, right? you you actually could picture that. And I'm not. I I I can see how he got talked into it. But wow. Hmm. Well, and uh, I'm trying to think about who else that is up in 2022. Also, Mike Braun was flipped. another one of them. Mike Braun. Yeah, that was another one. Braun and Langford were the two. Minor surprises to me on that. Yeah. 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 You know, again, maybe I'm naive, but I do think the the one way that the Republican Party has to sort of come to a reckoning isn't just losing. It is that Biden actually succeeds. And um, what has happened for the last four years is that the Republican Party has been defined not by policy or ideology, but by a, a person, right? And by grievance, it's all about the fight. It's not whether you win or lose the fight. I, and in fact, I remember having this conversation after uh, the 2018 midterms and saying to a Republican who's not a big fan of the president, but he said, I said, well, was it worth it to, you know, lose the house? What did you, what did you get? Do you think that you wouldn't have gotten with a Jeb Bush or, a, you know, Scott Walker? And he said, well, you know, he fights more. He fights more. He wouldn't. He doesn't back down, and that's really what it was. It's not that you got tax cuts. It's that well, he fought for the way he fought for the tax cuts, the way he fought for the Supreme Court uh, pick of Kavanaugh. Now Republicans have a choice. They can keep on that grievance track, or you can look at this moment in time and say, "Hmm, we're in the middle of an economic crisis. We have a pandemic. We have vaccines that aren't getting to people. Maybe just I don't know." Fixing that, doing things actually is what people really do want. Because in the absence of that, in the absence of anything tangible, people go into their camps, give them something tangible. I mean, you're still going to have camps, obviously. We're still going to be polarized. But it puts Republicans in a really dangerous spot because then all they have left is grievance. And at some point, if you don't have somebody like Trump, who is as good as he is at ginning it up, you're you're going to be left with really nothing to say, hmm. and and so I, I do think that's where, you know, if if you are a Josh Hawley, a Ted Cruz, looking at 2024 through this lens of well, you got to win the Trump right. faction, right? You're, you've totally missed this. I think there is this opportunity, and this is where Liz Cheney's going, right? Right. Which is 
you know what? Nope. We're going to stand for something. We're going to be a Republican Party that has the, you know, these three legs of the stool or whatever it was, right? We're strong on the military. We're small government. That's who we are. And I do think where Biden's challenge is going to come is once the the push comes to do more than just let's just fix the stuff that's broken, but let's go that next step. Now Republicans have an opportunity, right. right, to say, well, look, we told you, you put them in charge, they're going to hit the extreme button. You know, Eddie, even before all of this, though, this week, th- there was a, you know, the Republican Party had this sort of identity crisis, right? There, there's a reason there's no platform right now, right? This is a party with no platform. They, they, mm-hmm. they are a party of no ideas officially. No principles. That's what they did. And they just it was all whatever Donald Trump believes. Um, But they also are a party whose current rank and file doesn't match, I would argue, what Liz Cheney and Paul Ryan would like to see what the Republican Party is. Right. If you look at that wing of the party. So they were having this identity crisis even before now, what feels like a now what will be a Karl Rove's calling it a, a civil war. Right. So you had, you know, you, you you had the corporate wing of the party, you have the libertarians, you have this right wing populism. What would they do? How would they manage it all? How have they ne- negotiated? And Trump comes in and, of course, the right wing populism metastasizes and overwhelms everything. You know, I, I just have this image of Boehner just walking away, smiling, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Um, and, and so you're right. But then there's the, there's this and Amy hinted at this in her in her comments. There's there's something happening on the Democratic side as well. Right. Um, right now you have the disarray of the Republican Party, but there is a challenge that that will evidence itself, I think, uh, between uh, uh, the the left wing or the progressive wing of the party uh, and and the centrist wing of the party. So, Dan, you might have to add another. Element. It's not just three. It's four. <laughs> right. it's a good point. I'm actually a believer that we really are four parties in this country. Yeah. And there's part of me that wonders if our politics can be healthier if we if we borrowed a page from the French and went ahead and said, okay, we'll have four major parties. Yeah, I mean, it seems that way because that, that argument is going to be had. Uh, and because one of the things that, you know, we, we're talking about the, the politics and, and, and of course, you know, we're junkies in this regard. But I think Amy was, was really right. Um, and it may be because of the Princeton connection, Amy. I'm just, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but, but there are the scale of the problems we face as a nation. I mean, we are in deep crisis. So the idea, I I mean, I literally get nauseous, right, or nauseated when I hear us talking about politics, going back to, you know, the the center wing, the the centrist, and when I'm thinking about the scale of the problems we face as a country, Americans in in, in food lines, housing insecurity, jobs, I mean. You don't think midnight basketball solves it? Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> but I just don't I just don't know what it the means. Avatar, the avatar for incrementalism, right, of the nineties. Yeah. Exactly. What does it mean to go back to politics as usual right. in the face of what we actually know is happening right now in the country? Eddie, I, I, I agree with you. I think that the scale of the problems is enormous and and that the and that that, that will be a, a big challenge that Biden will face because of the ambitions um within his own party of of a of the liberal wing of the party um, to be more ambitious and to push because these problems are so enormous and have been, and have been revealed in, in ways, you know, in, in, in the way that yesterday revealed something, the pandemic and the economic collapse have revealed other things that have long been there, but, but are, but are there. But um, the, I don't know how we do any of this if we don't fix the, 
the problem of democracy itself in this country. Right. Um, and, and Biden made this point yesterday, yeah. which is that, you know, the next the work of the next four years has to be the restoration of democracy. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. you, you, you have to, in a sense, start with that. And that's a nebulous, you know, and, and enormously difficult question to take on. But you have to do that even as you are trying to address the big, wow. the big yeah. problem. Yeah. I always say, though, that I would argue that Joe Biden under, has understood better than most what his mandate is. Mm -hmm. which is you got to figure out how to, how to let us, let us scab. We, we, we need to heal, right? We, we need to let, let, let's, let's try to heal and, uh, and, and let, let's, let's make an effort here. He, you know, if there is going to be one silver lining out of all of this is I, Joe Biden might get a Washington honeymoon. If you get my drift guys, meaning the official Washington will, make a little extra effort to see him succeed in the first six months. You hmm. buy that, Dan, Amy, Eddie? Hmm. I, I don't buy it entirely. I mean, I buy it, I buy it, um, I buy it sort of, but, you know, go back to Barack Obama. No, I know. Look, I, I know. <laughs> you sound like my EP, John Reese. You know, I've had this, you know, like, he goes, oh yeah? <laughs> He's like, you know, how, how did Merrick Garland How'd that Merrick Garland nomination go in 16? You know what I mean? Like, you know, how'd that Mitch McConnell work? You know, so I, I, you're right. Well, I don't even mean, I don't even mean well into the Obama administration. I, I mean, literally at the beginning sure, of the Obama one, administration, right? when, yeah. when the country was, was in a feel good moment about the election of the first black American as president of the United States. And, like, and, we, we, faced, and yeah. we faced an enormous economic challenge. Um, and if, if you would have thought that would have bought the new president not just a honeymoon, but but a cooperative period in which people would work together to deal with that. And it didn't happen at, at all. No, the, and in hindsight, that is something that also contributed to the moment we're here today when the, when the Republican Party chose not to govern. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I and, you know, Chuck, I'm, I'm still thinking about what something Frank Fergluzzi said. Fergluzzi said, I, mm -hmm. I hope I'm getting Frank's last name right, um, the other day or yesterday. And he's like, we have to deal with the fact that we may have an extant insurgents, right? I know. Among us. Oh, yeah. And so what does it mean? So, so, you know, when Trump was elected, we heard talk of the resistance, right? We saw it. We saw yeah. millions of people. You're right. Organizing. We may see another one on the other side, right? It's going to be another one on the other side, I think. Yeah. And it's going to take a different form after what we saw yesterday. It has, it has really... Yes. These are the folks with AR-15s, right? This is different than just simply walking around with pink hats. Right. Right? This, this is a very different kind of form of expression of resistance. Well, you know, Chuck, the first thing we're going to see is primaries. And let's see how serious they are. I mean, right. we saw that almost immediately in 2009, right? Any Republican who had supported TARP. Got primary. Um, yeah. Boom, yep. you're done. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it culminated with you know, Mike Castle for crying out loud, right? right? right. The, 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 the sort of epitome of uh, what was traditional Republicanism or East Coast Republicanism going yeah. down to a Tea Party insurgent. And so let's see how significant that is. Um, and the left has not been as successful um, right. in leveraging that. And I, I think uh, just going back to a previous point, Chuck and, and and Eddie can obviously weigh on in on this um, more expertly than I can, but I think what the big difference between 
where we are now and say where we were in the 90s or even 2000 after that election, right? Where we were talking about, are we going to heal? Half the right. country thinks the, you know, Bush is an illegitimate president. But the two parties were in the same place when it came to race. And what's changed over the last 10 years is that white Democrats are less willing to accept uh, the racial inequality. And um, that to me has been the the big change because it's easy to let scabs heal if you the say- The other side of my John Ossoff. Yeah, it was the, 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 the other side of my John Ossoff point. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Let's just pretend that didn't happen. Okay, let's say we got to keep, we have, uh, everybody can get along. Shouldn't we all be peaceful? Let's just let bygones, hold hands. Um, now it's, it's not just that you have the- right folks on the right saying, we got to take our country back. But you have Democrats saying, no, we're not just going to paper over this and just pretend it's okay and just go back to business as usual. So this is is an inflection point on so many levels. But I do think that that's really what changed so much of where we are now. Well, look, uh, we haven't nearly said everything that needs to be said, but I have to take my podcast back because I got, <laughs> I, I got to go do more. I got to create more content. And this is more vi- on, on the visual side of things in a, in a few minutes. Uh, Amy Walter, Dan Balls, Eddie Glaude Jr. Um, thank you guys. This was great. This was exactly what I envisioned. Three of the smartest people I know to talk about what the hell we just, we just went through. So hang in there, everybody. Thanks, Chuck. Right. Thanks, Thanks Chuck. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Chuck Toddcast for Meet the Press. Today's episode was produced by Justice Gilpin Green and Matt Rivera. John Reeves is our executive producer, and our theme music is composed by Spoke Media. You can catch Meet the Press daily on MSNBC every day at 1. Meet the Press Reports is our on-demand show on Peacock, or the big show every Sunday morning. So thanks for listening, and until we upload again. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.